Welcome back to the final week of the I Believe in Love book study. We are on conference 10. It's been some pretty great 10 weeks though. And we are already ready to read this again and lead another group here in a couple weeks. Funny, huh? Yeah, yeah. So we're very excited to be on conference 10. Mm -hmm. The Lord has had a lot of fruit for all of us in our spiritual lives and in our hearts over the last 10 weeks. And um, what better way to end with than the Blessed Mother? Yes. So this was a very good chapter. I liked his you know, his five jewels of Mary and how he broke those out. I thought those were very beautiful. This was like, so your teaching charism chapter. I know. I like talking about Mary. She's my girl. Well, and a lot of this part, a lot of this conference, I just was thinking like so many people in the church don't have this relationship with our mother, Mm -hmm. but so many people outside of the church just like she's, irrelevant right to them or um or not seen as like the heart of the gospels yeah you know and i liked when he was talking in here about how none of this would have come about if it weren't for her right you know her fiat her yes is what brought us jesus like yeah. our salvation is of course thanks to jesus but she played such a huge part in that like right. her yes brought us jesus brought yeah. us salvation yeah it's it's funny as a convert i think i have a I don't know, I lived appreciation of this because mm-hmm. like I, I, I was one of those people that dismissed her. Right. And sometimes in the Catholic world we find I, I hear this a lot, you know, I I don't really I'm more focused on Jesus. Mm-hmm. I don't I'm not interested in Mary. I'm more focused on Jesus as if you can have one without the other. Right. As if one is more pious than the other. Mm-hmm. And that's not true. Like mm-hmm. you see no, her yes meant something. Yeah. Genesis 3.15 means something. Yeah. He talked about John 3.16 and he said, it's like you could apply it to her too. For God so loved the world as to give his only begotten son. You could say that about Mary. For Mary so loved the world as to give her only begotten son because that's what she did. Right. She, uh, I like when it says her fiat in Nazareth, but her fiat at Calvary. Mm-hmm. So often we associate, you know, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord, her fiat is let it be done unto me, right? We associate that with Nazareth and the Annunciation. But her fiat at Calvary is her yes to allow her son and watch her son and be present as he's killed. And as she's essentially saying, yeah, I want all of the souls of all of my children of the entire world. So here, take my son, take my only begotten son. So John 3.16 applies to her too. Yeah, and it's incredible to think like the fiat of Calvary was also the fiat of the nativity, mm-hmm. which was also the fiat of the Annunciation. Mm-hmm. Like that was her whole life. She, Yeah, her entire life was just saying yes to the will of God. Um, I have a talk on Mary where it's all about her fiat. Like it's all about her suffering, but how her suffering comes through every one of her fiats. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you know, we associate fiat with a one and done situation at the Annunciation. But, you know, she said yes to be the mother of God, which means she says yes to being pierced in her soul at the presentation. She says yes at the wedding at Cana to begin her son's, you know, his time is hour before it's possible. Um, She says yes. She says yes uh, when he's captured. And she says yes at the cross. Like all of these moments, you know, she's helping him accomplish all that he's meant to do too. Mm-hmm. And she has such a big role. And so I liked this chapter because it's just, like I said, it's a fitting way to end the book mm-hmm. is like to culminate it in, in her because, you know, he says in this conference, like 
ultimately her goal is to point us to Christ. Like that's right. what she is meant for. Yeah. And she did that like w- along with Therese throughout this whole book. So it's almost like a, um, a capstone, like, okay, now that you've gone through this whole book, you've grown in your spiritual life, like give it to Mary. Cause she knows what to do with it. Mm-hmm. There's a sentence in this book that I was certain you underlined Kara. Cause it, it just, it, it sounds like something that would stand out to you. Mary is the most imitatable of all the saints. Mary is the most imitatable of all the saints. And I know you're very quick to come to St. Therese's defense when people say she's unrelatable. And he ties those two together in that statement, Mary being the most imitatable. He says, little Therese rediscovered this road of Nazareth. She approached it with simplicity, but without equaling it. In, In saying that, He's building on the first jewel. You mentioned her five jewels. Her love of reticence, of self-effacement, of the hidden life, the veil of simplicity. And I, I love how he articulates this. He says, wife of a carpenter, keeping the house, going to the fountain, mm-hmm. and yet being the queen of heaven. Yeah. And yet yeah. that's the most imitatable. How often do we desire to be praised, to be known, right. to not have that level of simplicity right i uh i remember actually writing a blog about this how mary is relatable Mm -hmm. um because yeah i think a lot of times we think you know she was sinless so what exactly can we relate to her about but she's also a parent she's also a mother like she lost her child for multiple days i'm sure you know that was really scary um she had to undergo suffering when she saw him being hurt by other people uh and yeah here it talks about just the household things that she had to do to live and provide for her family. And she was the queen of heaven. Like we revere her. We honor her as the queen of heaven. But think of just the time she spent here on earth as a holy and sinless woman going about her day-to-day tasks. I did love that part. And I wrote um, next to it. I said, we are not above service. Mm. I think it's common for us to avoid uh, avoid suffering, avoid things that maybe we think like are below us. Like, well, that's not in my j- job description, so I'm not going to do right. that. But yeah. you just see her willingness in all of this to be, uh, to be a servant, right. to serve her family and to serve the world and through her service to her family. And actually when it says, um, behold, I am the handmaid, the actual translation for handmaid can, can better translate to the word slave. Mm-hmm. So if you think about that, like, behold, I am a slave, let it be done to me according to your word. Like she's saying, and that's not like, you know, this oppressive word for right. her. This right. is this is something where she is like freely consenting to give herself over to servitude of God in whatever he needs of her. And in this moment, he needs her to be the mother of God, like right. his own mother. Yeah. So I think it's really beautiful. We should all have the heart of a slave. We should all have the heart of servitude to completely deny ourselves and give ourselves over to the will of God. Yeah. I think and, that's her example. In that sort of way. Yeah. And like in our time, Jesus also wants hidden saints like the woman of Nazareth mm-hmm. who distinguish themselves in nothing exteriorly, but who burn interiorly. Right. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And, and he goes on to talk about that, like, you know, her hidden life wasn't just the hidden life of Nazareth when Peter was preaching. Right. No, oh, like yeah. she was there yeah. and no, it says no one in the crowd of hearers had any idea that the mother of this resurrected Jesus of whom Peter was talking about, the mother of God, the spouse of the Holy Spirit 
was there silent in their midst. Yeah. You know, just this, this, and I, I know I've referenced this before, like her, um, her acceptance of her role in silence too, you know, to not shout at the top of her lungs, what are you doing to my son? He's the savior. Right. Stop, stop this. And like recite all of the scripture passages to prove it to them. Like right. she didn't have this need to be right, to be heard. She had a need to follow 100% the will of God. And she was okay in the hiddenness of that. Right. Which is so beautiful. Like I know I've mentioned it before. I just, I love the call to our, a hidden life. Right. And, and there's nothing in Mary's example that you find in scripture where it's, Hey, I'm in Genesis 3.15. I'm the queen uh-huh. of heaven. You better listen That's to me. That's me. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. you know? Which is the opposite of John. He's like right. the beloved disciple, right. which is me. <laughs> yeah, which he also talks about, you <laughs> yeah. know. He does talk in about this John. chapter. I actually really liked that because yeah. um, for whatever reason, I don't think I ever, uh, it ever clicked with me that when the book is called I Believe in Love, that it comes from John. John, right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I really liked that. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a final challenge for us in this last chapter right. to, if we want to have closeness, with Jesus, if we want to, you know, lay our our head against his heart, if we want to have that unique intimacy, all it takes is for us to say, I believe in your love, just right. as John did. So yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, kind of building on where we were going with that, one thing that stands out to me, and I was reflecting on this, it was January 1st, the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, Mary's humility mm-hmm. in this saying yes, and in accepting that simple life. Mary did in her humility what a third of the angels couldn't do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is mind blowing to is. think about. Mm-hmm. Like, she ascended higher because of her humility mm-hmm. to the highest point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why she is so disliked by the the invisible <laughs> world. Right. Um, that fell. Yeah. And yet, a third of the angels couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the power of humility. That's the power of this simple life. It's the example that she gives us that we're supposed to lead. Like, how do we, how do we get to heaven? How do we ascend? Become like a child. And mm-hmm. the example of that is humility. That's how the opposite of those who have fallen, the angels right. who have fallen. And and I think that's exactly what he's getting at with saying Mary's the most imitatable. Mm-hmm. Like by grace, we can do that right. if we allow the Lord, and He would say it this way, to do it in us. Right. I, I like that you mentioned with grace because obviously we know Mary and her immaculate conception, you know, she was full of grace. And one of the parts that stood out to me was uh, when it was talking about, you know, Mary was all love because she was completely pure. So purity isn't strictly the absence of sin. Mm-hmm. It says that it can be, it can often be synonymous with the absence of sin, but there's error to stop it there. It says uh, to drive away darkness, we need light. And then it says she has the Holy Trinity completely within her. Yeah. So I wrote next to it, Mary is light. Like to mm-hmm. have, to have the complete absence of darkness, you have to have light. And she had she had no darkness in her. She had no sin. Right. Like Mary is light. Like right. I don't know. I just found that really something to like contemplate, you know? Yeah, for sure. Building on what you were saying and also tying it to where you began, like our, our, the story of our redemption, our actual redemption, our salvation began, especially with Mary's yes. Mm-hmm. But he says this, it's right after that light and needing that light. He says, always go to Jesus through Mary, but not for fear of Jesus. And here I just I want to challenge like if there's anyone listening and and maybe at some point this isn't a criticism, but 
maybe you have been one of those Catholics that have said, you know, I, I, I'm more I'm more about Jesus. Mm-hmm. I'm not so much into Mary. I, I just focus on Jesus. Like it's, again, <laughs> I want to challenge you to hear these words and, and maybe rethink that. It, he says, if Mary has a merciful heart, a heart of ineffable tenderness, it is Jesus who gave it to her. He has even more than she, the heart of a mother. Mm-hmm. It is his plan of love in the same way that he himself came through Mary. He wants us to go to him through Mary. It is the surest way, the most direct way, the sweetest way too. Why? Because we find Jesus in the arms of Mary. Mm-hmm. And in the margins here, I wrote, in his human nature, was Mary not also an elevator for Jesus? And that just kind of like, I felt like I needed to stop and contemplate that because, you know, we read in scripture, he grew in wisdom and stature with man and with God. Mm-hmm. Being Having a loving mother, in like in his human nature, of course, that was a part of that process. So in a way, part of how we come to know the love of God is through our parents. Mm-hmm. We come to know the love of God on the lips and through the heart of our mother. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, Mary was the elevator. <laughs> the elevator idea comes from Therese. It comes to Therese. And mm-hmm. because that's been such a common thing throughout this book, I just, I don't know, I just saw that connection there and it just mm-hmm. felt like I had to stop and really reflect on that. Yeah, I know Therese's idea of an elevator, she, you know, she, she saw herself as a grain of sand compared to the mountains that were the saints. And she said she needed an elevator and the elevator to heaven was the hands of Christ. So mm-hmm. it's when you say, you know, Mary is the elevator for Jesus. It's like, she is the one who is helping him to uh, accomplish what he's he set yeah. out to do. That's how I see it. And, and it says you're the surest way. Yeah. And I'm speaking in his human nature, of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And then it also is where we can, you know, get the idea of the consecration to Mary. You know, she is the surest way. Um, it, it says, you know, God looks more at the giver than at the gift. So the idea in the consecration is like you give all of yourself, all of your grace, all of your merit to the Blessed Mother and mm-hmm. she brings it to her son. So it's this idea of the, from the Old Testament where the mother of the king was the queen mother, right. right? And she brings all of the intentions of the people to the king. And it's like, I could bring a gift to the king. I think the example they use is like, you bring an apple to the king. And he's like, oh, thanks, it's an apple. He puts it with the rest of the gifts. Right. But if you give the apple to the mother, she puts it on a golden plate and she presents it to to her son and he cherishes it because it was a gift from his mother. Mm-hmm. So in consecrating ourselves or in praying to Mary and asking her to intercede for us with, with Jesus, we're giving her what we have to gift to God, but she's the giver of it. And he, he loves it all the more. He wants to carry it out all the more because it's from his mom. Right. So it's this idea of, yeah, she's the surest way. Why is she the surest way? Because she's his mom. Right. Who knows him better than <laughs> yeah. that level of intimacy. I mean, yeah. think about those, the uh, hidden life at Nazareth, mm-hmm. how much, how much of sharing that heart with Christ. And he talks about that obviously, but right. Like, who knows him better than his own mother? Yeah. You know? Uh, I really enjoyed the part, the comparisons with um, Peter and then the rich young man. Oh, yeah. And uh, and I think I actually have said this often, and maybe I didn't register that I took it from this book, but the idea that when Peter failed to, uh, and when he denied him three times, when Christ looked at him, like, it was still a look of love and mercy. Mm. Um, But I I really liked when he was talking even about you know, they were out 
fishing because obviously this chapter is called Jesus, Mary and the saints. So we've been talking about Mary, but of course the saints are in this and and Jesus himself is in this conference. But I really liked how um, he said, you know, they had been out all night and they had caught nothing. Mm. And then Jesus says, put out into the deep and they go and they catch it. And I just like was reflecting on that. It's like they saw failure before they saw the success. And the only way they saw the success was with Jesus in the boat with them. Right. And so I liked that, especially with mm-hmm. the things that like friend you and I are trying to accomplish right. with uh, our own apostolate. It's like we could see failure in the midst of it. Right. But when Jesus is in the boat, like he's the one who brings the successes. So yeah. I found a lot of comfort in that. Um, and then in the midst of, of talking about, you know, how he still looks with love on those who, deny him like Peter did and even the rich young man who wasn't able to come with him he said I like this I think the rich young man sometimes gets a bad rap as if he's like not holy enough to go deny all of his things but it says the gospel reports that Jesus looked with love upon this young man who had been so faithful so generous yeah I mean it scripture says he was a good man he was a good man he (laughs) was a righteous man he followed all of the commandments uh it was just hard for him right. to deny the things he had gained. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is asking us to let go of the worldly things so that we can gain something even greater in heaven. Right. Are we willing to do that? Like that's a question we can ask ourselves. But still the thing that stood out to me is just this look of love. Like even with this man who chooses not to follow him, even with Peter who denies him, he blasphemes against him three times he still looks at him with love. Mm. And it says he gave him a look of reproach, yes, but a reproach full of mercy and so tender that the soul of Peter was pierced to the depths. Yeah. I think that goes back to past the past chapters that we have talked about, you know, strength is perfected in weakness. We grow when we experience suffering. Um, mercy is attracted by misery. Like it's all these counter things. I think, Peter, in order to go forth and convert thousands of people, you know, after receiving the Holy Spirit, like it's such a contradiction. Right. He denies him three mm. times. Then he receives the Holy Spirit and goes and converts thousands of people. Yeah. In my, I guess I saw in reading this, I saw like he could never have done that had he not experienced failure. Right. You know, that's what brought about his reliance on Christ was first experiencing falling, falling, denying him, but then seeing this tender reproach, this love and mercy that he, that God has still for him. Now he can go out and preach Christ crucified and do it well because he fell. I think our culture has a habit of, Oh, he fell. Let's kick him while he's down. Yeah. And let's leave him there. Or it seems like he is, has gotten back up. Oh, he must be a phony. I mean, you saw that with, um, with recent celebrity conversions yes. to the Catholic faith and yeah. things like that. you know, Yeah, we discount what they've experienced right. as if you can't change, as if you can't right. have a deep conversion. But who's to say? And he received grace. He received mercy. I'm reading from page 270. He repented. He wept. And he was more filled with grace afterward than if he had not denied Christ. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to that prayer that we hear over and over and over and over again in this book. Lord, make up for what I have done badly right redeem what i have lost Mm -hmm. that a greater good would come even as if i had never done the thing and that's exactly what we see in peter and i know it's kind of a cheesy phrase but it is that we're falling up on our way to god as long as we get back up get back up Mm -hmm. and allow grace allow him to do it in us right 
allow him to help us get back up. Right. And that's ultimately like what it what it is to be a saint. Like this book is also about right. the saints. <clears throat> yeah. You know, to be a saint is to have that desire and that courage to when we fall to still keep our eyes on Christ. When we're sinking in the water, we get out of the boat, we're sinking in the water to still keep our eyes on Christ and get back up. Like that's mm-hmm. ultimately what our faith is about. So I think at the end of this, you know, um, we've all been in this book study together and like it's calling us to grow in spirituality. It's super easy. I know I've experienced it after reading this, you know, four times over the course of several years to forget some of these points of wisdom mm-hmm. um, and to forget the way that it changes our hearts. And it has changed our hearts over the last 10 weeks. So to not be discouraged by that, like once you recall it, you're like, you know, this was such a good chapter. Like, why did, why am I not carrying this right, out and right. remembering this to not get discouraged, but to just look at Christ mm-hmm. <laughs> and remember, you know, it's the falls that help us to be stronger and to get back up. Yeah. And I, I, he ends the chapter, I think even touching on that point in the current of your daily life and the course of your days, you also must say it is the Lord like John in the boat when, mm-hmm. you know, he saw him on the shore John recognized him. He was a disciple who Jesus loved. So mm-hmm. he too knew that tender heart, right? To say it is the Lord. And he says, you may hide yourself behind secondary causes, behind creatures. You will not fool me. I shall always recognize you. So I think he, he ends with that challenge to recognize in your daily lives and the conversations you have with those around you and whatever may befall you. Mm-hmm. It's the Lord. Mm-hmm. It may look like those secondary things, but it's the Lord. Yeah. You know, it's a beautiful challenge. Yeah. With all of this, I think Fred and I really want to just thank everyone for joining the last 10 weeks. Um, we've been praying for you, and I know Therese has been interceding for all of you. And I would like to end um, by reading something from this conference on page 277. Um, it's the last paragraph. And as I was reading this, I just felt like, like he's made it personal and we can all make this personal by reading it and, and placing your name within this. It says, fear not for I have redeemed you and called you by your name. You are mine. Since you became honorable in my eyes, you are glorious. I have loved you and I will give men for you and people for your life. Like I would just encourage you all to go back and read that and place your name in that because he's making this this encounter with God, this encounter with redemption through Jesus Christ. He's making it so personal for you in your life. Um, so we hope that St. Therese has made, has made him personal in your life. And we are so grateful for the time you have spent with us. Amen.